feel like I need to introduce myself to the church sometimes. I've been gone for the last seven or eight months uh, helping a sister church at Taylorville preaching over there. Uh, they were without a minister, and I'm, I'm back, and I, I love being back. And Mark asked me to preach on uh, the story today, and especially chapters 16 and 17, and it's not a pretty picture, uh, what's going on there. I, uh, uh, I don't know what you thought about that video we just saw, but um, I kind of cringed when I saw it, and I thought, should I laugh at this? You know, it's almost so overtly blasphemous. Were some of you kind of waiting for the lightning strike? You know, kind of like, what? You know, worship, put, putting, pushing God off the throne and putting yourself there? And I think most people in this room, if not everybody in this room, would never do that. You would never sing a song like that. But you know what? Some of us would do some things that make God just as angry. God is a jealous God, and He will not be changed. And, and if I were to say, what's the message of the story chapter 16 and the story chapter 17 which is pretty, pretty ugly, pretty hard. It's a discipline of God. I would say the message is don't mess with God. Don't change God. Don't you dare try and change God. Now, I'm not trying to embarrass anybody, but I'm just curious. How many of you have read chapter 16 and 17 before today? Okay, a lot of hands up there. Good. So I think you're ready for, for this message. Um, I really think all the way from chapter 14 to chapter 17, Pretty, pretty negative stuff about God's discipline. And I think if I were to say, what was Israel's problem? What was Judah's problem? I would say it boils down to they forgot to fear God. They lost their fear of God. And I think it's happening in America. I actually think it's happening in churches. Let me take you all the way back to Exodus 19 and 20. We're not going to turn there, but just remind you, I want to remind you of Mount Sinai. Remember the mountain there? And... Uh, if you, if you remember what happened in Exodus 19, it said the, the mountain was smoking. There was a smoke like a furnace. And it says Mount Sinai was actually trembling. And it says there was lightning and thunder. And it said there was a trumpet sound that kept getting louder and louder and louder. And the people, what was the reaction of the people? They stood at a distance they were trembling, shaking with fear. And remember what they told Moses? They said, you go talk to God. We don't want to talk to God. And by the way, when you come down off the mountain, you speak to us. Because if God speaks to us, we will die. They remembered how to fear God in that moment. But I think they, I just think they lost it. And I was reading a, a newsletter by... Uh, uh, George Bajinski is a missionary to Poland, and uh, he was talking about uh, the Ten Commandments to a bunch of kids at a camp in Poland, and he said they happened to have some Ukrainian children who had come to their church camp in Poland, and he said there was this one little girl that during the lesson on the Ten Commandments, the teacher said, you know, described how God was uh, speaking to Moses with a very loud voice and even with thunder, and when the question was asked, what would you do if God were to speak to you like that, and this little girl, just this great, honest response, she said, I think I'd pee my pants. I think you would too. I think you would if you were in the presence of the holy God, the holy other. And I want to start today. There's a lot of scriptures in your bulletin. We're going to look at them fairly quickly. I think they're going to be on the screen. Exodus 20. 
verses 1 to 6. Let me take you back to the first two commandments. So God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. That's number one. We get that. No other idols, no other gods. There's only one God. But look at commandment number two. Almost looks like a repeat, but it's not a repeat. He says, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything. In heaven above, on earth beneath, in the waters below, you shall not bow down to them, you shall not worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of their fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, when I reflect on the Ten Commandments, you guys ever done this? You ever kind of gone through them and thought, I wonder how many I've broken? And I thought, I wonder which ones I haven't broken. And for the longest time in my life, I thought I was okay with number two. Number two, I just thought, you know, I didn't even know how to carve. You know, I carved in Boy Scouts for a little bit, and I wasn't good at it. So I've never carved an idol, put it up on the fireplace, bowed down before it. I'd never done it. I thought, I'm safe with number two. That's until I realized what number two is really talking about. And I realized that I have probably broken number two multiple times in my life. And I think if you follow me in this sermon, you're going to realize how many times you have broken number two. And I don't want you to read the story, chapter 16, and the story, chapter 17, and think, oh, Asherah poles, Baal, and and you're you're not in the story because you are in the story. You and I have broken commandment number two multiple times. And I, if you follow me, I think you'll catch what I'm saying. First commandment is don't worship any other God. We get that one. But the second commandment is kind of like worshiping the true God in a false way. And even this week I was looking at the high places. You remember the, it talks about the high places in the Old Testament in the story. And, and I think the high places actually could be seen as two different things. One is it's a place where they did have idol worship and they had other gods. But I also think sometimes the high places were places that Israel went to worship the true God, but in a false way. Like especially the times when God says, where do you, where do, you do sacrifices? Where are the sacrifices supposed to be presented? In the temple in Jerusalem. But some people thought, well, we got our own high place here. Let's just sacrifice to God at our high place outside of the town up on the hill. I don't really, I'm too tired. I don't want to go to Jerusalem. Are you following what I'm saying? It's like they were trying to reshape what God said and said, let's, let's do something more convenient. And guys, you and I do that all the time. We want to reshape God into the kind of God that we want to worship. Now, we're not like the guy in the video when we put ourselves and say, worship me. But you know what we do? We do something just as offensive to God. And that's when we try to change him. The message of the Ten Commandments, the message of the story that you just read, don't mess with God. Don't you dare try to change him in any way. He says, you take me just the way I am. Early church father Augustine, he defined idolatry as worshiping anything that ought to be used or using anything that ought to be worshiped. And sometimes, you know, we try to use God. We try to manipulate God. This idea of using God and making Him into something that we want Him to be, commandment number two prohibits that. And I think Israel actually did both. They did the idol part and they did the created mental idols in their mind as well. I heard uh, that there's a temple in Kyoto, Japan, where there it says the temple of the thousand Buddhas. 
And uh, each statue of Buddha is slightly different than every other statue. And so basically, you could go into the temple, and you could find the Buddha that looks most like you, and worship it. Sound cool, huh? Kind of like, worship the God you like. We do that in the church sometimes. We actually, we actually kind of reshape God in the image that we like to worship Him, kind of like tailor-made for us. By the way, side note, I talked to Sarah and Les Evans this week on Skype at Lincoln. I actually Skyped them into my class for an hour lecture. Uh, they talked about language learning in my language learning class, and they're doing amazing. They actually got up at 2 a.m. in the morning just to be in my class, and they wanted to do that. And uh, let's pray for Sarah and Les. They're in, a, they're in a land with many, many idols, But guys, let's pray for ourselves too. Because we live in a land with many, many idols. And I'm afraid that you think, oh yeah, Japan, yeah, I get that. But what about the United States of America? We have a ton of idols, and I hope I can explain to you what some of those are so you can look out for them. We live in a culture that says basically, uh, have it your own way, right? Isn't that the culture we live in? I mean, you go to Burger King, you have it your own way. You go to Subway, you put on a sandwich, whatever you want on the sandwich. Uh, just go to the store and buy Coke. How many different kinds of Coke do we have now? You know, Diet Coke and no caffeine, no sugar, no color. You know, what kind of Coke do you want? We get a car. Uh, we, we, we shopped for a car for Sammy not too long ago, and just all the different extras you can put on a car. You know, you want air conditioning, you want the CD, you want the OnStar, you want the Bluetooth. What do you want in this car? It's like you have this menu of options Guys, we bring that to church all the time. We take that culture of have it your own way and we bring it to church. And we want to have God our own way. We're guilty of it, all of us. Many people in America say, I'll take God, but I just like to change Him a little bit here and there to make it, you know, what are my options with God? God says, you don't have any options. You take me as I am. Don't mess with me. Don't change me. God says, if you want to worship me, you take me just like I am. Let's look at a couple ways people try to change God. People try to distort the image of God. If you want to fill in the blanks in your bulletin, a couple blanks there. First one is God reduced. God reduced. Um, You guys remember the story in uh, Exodus where Moses had been up on Mount Sinai for a while and they got tired of waiting for him? And he said, we don't know what happened to this Moses guy. Um, And they went to Aaron. (laughs) What did they say to Aaron? It's kind of like they were saying... We've heard this voice of God, and you know we've seen the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud, and we want something tangible. We want something that we can touch. And so what did Aaron say? He said, bring me your gold. So they brought the gold jewelry, and he fashions a calf or a bull. And, and this, is, this is my take on this, and I don't know if you, you get this out of, the, out of the story or not, but I think that in Aaron's mind, he was actually trying to worship the true God. But he was doing it in a false way. I mean, he took something precious like gold, and then he fashioned a symbol of power. I mean, Aaron had a front row seat on the Ten Plagues, didn't he, in Egypt? He, he saw God's power. And it's like, well, we're going to make this bull, this golden calf, is like a symbol of power. And in, actually, in the text it says, and tomorrow we're going to have a festival to the Lord. That's what it says in the text, after he made the golden calf. So in his mind, I think he was like, I'm going to worship God in this symbol of power. But you know, it turned into a sexual orgy. I mean, it didn't turn out good. What was Aaron doing? He was reducing God to one aspect of his nature. 
It was like the God of power. But what about the God of holiness and the God of purity? Where's that God? Well, Aaron just kind of reduced it to power, and what happened? Not very pretty. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 15 through 19, it talks about, I think, how if we worship a distorted God, we become a distorted people. God's words are so clear. Don't reduce me to the form of image of anything I have created. Starting in verse 15, he says, You saw no form of any kind the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb and out of the fire. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully so that you do not become corrupt and make for yourself an idol, an image of any shape, whether formed like a man or a woman, or like an animal on the earth, or any bird that flies in the air, or like any creature that moves along the ground, or any fish in the waters below. And even when you look up in the sky, and you see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the heavenly array, do not be enticed into bowing down to them and worshiping things the Lord your God has apportioned to all the nations under heaven. What's he saying with this? God said, you saw no form when I spoke to you, and you can't make a form that will do justice to me. I'm, I'm just too big. Don't reduce me. And even if you look for something big like the sun and the moon and the stars, guys, that's not big enough either because I made them. I'm bigger than they are. Look at Isaiah 40, verses 18 to 20. To whom then will you compare God, Isaiah says? What image will you compare him to? As for an idol, a craftsman casts it, a, a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A man too poor to present such an offering, he selects wood, which doesn't rot, and he looks for a skilled craftsman to, to create this idol, to set up this idol that won't fall down, that won't topple. To whom can we compare God? He can't be compared to anything. That's why we can't make an image that does him justice. Think of it this way. You guys ever had a photo taken of yourself that didn't do you justice? Now, some of you, like, every photo doesn't do you justice, you know, that kind of thing. But I mean, like, I mean, like you go over to, uh, you know, to, to the driver's license place, and you, get, you weren't quite ready when they snapped the picture, you know, and it, it came out this photo that looks like it belongs in a, a, a most wanted, you know, thing in the post office poster or something. And, and you feel, how do you feel? You feel kind of offended. It's like, well, that's not what, really what I look like. Well, how does the God of the universe feel? How does a God who created the whole universe feel when you and I somehow reduce him to an image in our mind that is smaller than he is? It's a good question. Isaiah 40, verses 21 to 24. Do you know, have you not heard, hasn't been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth has was founded? And look in verse 22. He, God, God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. Its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy. He spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught. He reduces rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground, and he, he blows on them. They wither, and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. You can't make an image of God of anything. Why? Because he is enthroned above everything. Look at Isaiah 66, the first two verses. This is what the Lord says. God tries to give us a word picture here. <laughs> Let me help you guys with this. Heaven is my throne, and the earth 
It's my little footstool. It's where I put my feet. And he says, where is the house that you would build me? <laughs> where will my resting place be? Has, has not my hand made all these things so they came into being, declares the Lord? This is the one I esteem, the one, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. God even tries to give us this word picture. When Solomon first built the temple, by the way, God was honored by the temple. And he allowed him to build the temple. And he said, I will put my name there and my presence will be there. But I'm afraid some people in Israel began to think that God lived in that box, lived in that temple, lived in that house. Think Christians ever do that? Kind of like God lives at church. He doesn't live everywhere else. God's too big for a house. God said, you can't make me a house that's big enough for me. And it even got worse for that for the Israelites. I believe it wasn't just the temple that became a house of God where they kind of had him trapped in there. I think it was actually a box. At one time, it was a box. Seen the movie, The Raiders of the Lost Ark? You know what box I'm talking about? The Ark of the Covenant. And there was actually a time when the, they were fighting the Philistines and they kept losing in battle, and, and they said, hey, I know what we'll do. We'll take the, the Ark of the Covenant. It's like we'll take God with us, with us into battle. And I think God was offended he said, I don't live in that little box. What are you doing? I'm not some lucky rabbit's foot. You know, hey, you're going to win the battle because you got the box with you. And what did God do? He let the Philistines take the box. He was trying to teach them a lesson. I don't live in a box. I don't live in a house. I don't live in a temple. Don't you dare reduce me in your mind to something smaller than I am. Second point in your bulletin, if you want to fill it in, is God reshaped. We cannot manipulate God for our own purposes, and sometimes we try it. Yahweh God is sovereign. He cannot be controlled by man. He cannot be coerced into doing our bidding. Deuteronomy chapter 4, the first two verses says, Hear now, O Israel, the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you. And then notice what it says in verse 2. Do not add to what I command you, and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord, the God that I gave you. Sometimes we're just tempted a little bit, aren't we, to, to change God just a little bit. Maybe a, a few things need to be added. Maybe a few things need to be subtracted from our view of God. And if we work at it, we could just create a God that's just right for us, a God that will fit what we need. Now, I know most of us do not, would not create an image of God with metal or with wood, with our hands, but we are often guilty of creating mental images of God that are not the true God. God's serious about us taking Him as He is. He said, don't add, don't subtract, don't change me. Exodus chapter 20, verses 5 and 6, He says, you shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. I want you to be honest. When I read that, and I read it before in another passage, is there a part of there you'd like to cut out and a part you'd like to keep? For me. I mean, be honest. That part about punishing the children for the sins of their fathers, wouldn't you like to just kind of erase that part? And kind of keep the part that says showing love to thousand generations of those who love me. I just, 
the truth is, the truth is, guys, we must take the, the love and the blessings of God together with His holiness and wrath. We don't get to choose, and we don't get to subtract, and we don't get to erase. If we took one without the other, guys, we will have a distorted image of God. It's very tempting to take one aspect of God's nature and worship it as if it were the totality of God. When we do this, it neglects or ignores his other aspects of his nature. For example, let me give you an example. And and I've done this before. Uh, It's one small step to go from believing in the God who can protect and can deliver and who can heal, which is true and which is biblical, which is part of his image of who he is. It's one small step to go to where God must deliver, must heal, must rescue me when I ask him and in the way that I ask him to do it. Did you see what I just did? Just a small step from the image of the true God to one where I've shaped him a little bit according to me. We all do it. We're all tempted to do it. That's why I love the story. We're going to get into you know, Daniel and what happened in the exile next. So we keep reading next chapter. I love Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the story, especially when they come up to King Nebuchadnezzar and he's going to toss them in the furnace. And you remember what they said? They said, our God is able to deliver us from your hand. And then they said, but if he doesn't do it, if he decides not to, we're still not going to serve you, Nebuchadnezzar, and your statue. We're going to follow the sovereign God. That is good theology. Can God deliver you? Yes. Will he deliver you in the way you ask? Maybe. Because he's God and he gets to decide. You don't manipulate God. You don't tell God what to do. But I'm afraid a lot of us Americans do it all the time because we want God our own way. You know, we got our rights, right? We got our rights. No, we don't. We live under the sovereign God. Do you realize who he is? Satan, actually, I'm going to say something that's kind of surprising, but Satan, I don't think Satan minds if we worship God. He really doesn't care as long as we reshape God a little bit into what we want him to be because he knows we're not worshiping the true God. It's been said that God has created man in his image, and that's true, Genesis 1.27, God created man in his image, and now man has turned around and returned the favor. We tried to recreate God in our image. Many people just want a custom-tailored God. It's shaped to meet our needs, shaped to meet our lifestyle, you know, shaped, shaped to meet our, 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 our times. We want a God who is there for me instead of me being there for God. I'm going to give you some examples, and some of you are still struggling with this concept of mental images of God. I don't mean to offend anybody by this, but I just want you to listen to all these examples, because I think, I think they're examples of how we make God into an idol in our mind. Here's, here's one. I call it the red, white, and blue God. The red, white, and blue God. This God endorses everything that's in America's interest. This God values This God's values are more influenced by American national security or America's affluence than by things like purity and justice. Now, I'm a patriot and I love my country, but I know people that go to church and they believe in that God. John 3.16 does not say, For God so loved America that He sent His only Son. What's it say? He loved the world. And some of us actually just worship this patriotic American God and That is a false image of God. You hear what I'm saying? Here's another one. How about just the the good old buddy God? 
the good old buddy God. That's the one that kind of looks like George Burns, okay? He's, he's your pal, you know, he's your friend. So, so what if you have a few bad habits? You know, your old buddy doesn't care. Or how about the, the health and wealth God? This one is big in America. This God says you can have it all in this life. You deserve the big house, the fancy car, the, the, the bank accounts. You deserve all of that. God doesn't want any person to be sick, sad, or to suffer in any way. And by the way, if you have any of those things in your life, you just have, you just have a lack of faith. That God is worshipped in America a lot. Or how about the vending machine God? That's the God where you put in a quarter or a dollar and, and you, know, you put in your prayers and your good deeds and, and your offerings in church. And in some way, you have just put God in your debt. I mean, you just put money in, you expect a candy bar, right? You, you kind of expect Him to, to dish out something for you. He owes you one. Or how about the genie in a bottle God? Or I could even say the Santa Claus God. That's the one that you just make a wish, and he'll grant it. Or the let's make a deal God. You ever, you ever worship that God? <laughs> you know, God, if you'll just help me out of this one jam, <laughs> I'll go to church more. I'll read the Bible. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll do this. I'll, God, if you just help me break this one bad habit, I'll make a deal with you. Make a deal with God? What are you talking about? Let's make a deal God? Or how about the grandpa God? The grandpa God, he's the one that always gives you candy and he never spanks. Wow, isn't that a nice God? Wouldn't you like to worship that God? No hell exists. A lot of people in America worship the grandpa God. They do. Nice old man. Or how about this one? And I have worshipped this idol before. I call it the 911 God. You know where I'm going, don't you? What do you do in an emergency? Call 911. You know, the God who is always there when I can call in a crisis, but I really don't need him the rest of the time. I'm fine. But I need him. I, I just need to call him a 911. And, and I don't know if you guys notice this, but if you have your Bible or your story with you, you can actually turn if you want. But on page 239 in the story, in this week's chapter, Yahweh God calls Judah on this one. Now, it's not in the text. It doesn't say 911 God, but I want to show you that it's there. And, and basically what happens on page 239, after he rebukes Judah for all the small g gods that they have made of wood and stone, and he says, you turned your back on me. And then he said, but when trouble comes, all of a sudden, you call on me again. You call on God, to, and you plead with him to save you. What is that? That's the 911 God. And God says, I won't be that kind of God for you. I'm not just going to be there for you when you have trouble. I'm going to teach you a lesson. You are off to Babylon. And it's not because I hate you, because I love you. I want to restore you. you got a big lesson. And I'm afraid that the church in America has a big lesson to, to learn. I'm afraid for our country we've got a big lesson to learn. Are you afraid, are you afraid that God's going to discipline us? And I, I, I feel like he's been so patient with us. The 911 God. God says, You take me with your whole heart and your whole life, or not at all. That's God's offer. He said, I will not be reduced by you. I will not be reshaped by you. I will not be manipulated by you. Let me give an illustration. This is kind of a sensitive illustration. I'll be careful how I talk about it. Um, but what if a man decided to make a sculpture of his wife? Okay? And he, decided, he asked his wife to be the model for the sculpture. And uh, 
he was working on it, and, and he's trying to make it look like his wife, but he decides he's going to change a few things, you know, and uh, he decides, you know, I'm going to make her look the way I really kind of want her to look in my dreams, you know, kind of thing. And as he's working on it, he'd say things like, well, I think I'll just add a little bit here. I think I'll take off a little bit here. And he'd say things like that as he was working on it. And in the end, he ended up with the sculpture of his wife, and it did have some resemblance to her, but it wasn't a true representation. And then what happened next, he, how would his wife feel is after he was done with the sculpture, he put it in the living room and he just constantly gazes at this sculpture and he ignores his wife. We do that to God all the time. We add a little bit to God. We subtract a little bit to God. We look at that God as if it were God. How does God feel? Offended. We're guilty of doing this when we reshape him. Well, I've got one more point, and this is a big point. And actually, this point showed up in chapter 16 of the story, but I don't know if you saw it. It's God revealed. God revealed. You probably heard the old story of a four-year-old boy who was busy drawing a picture, and his Sunday school teacher came up to him and said, Hey, what are you drawing? (laughs) And he said, Well, I'm drawing a picture of God. And she, she kind of made the comment, well, you know, nobody really knows what God looks like. And, you know, he just said, well, they will when I'm done. Now, we laugh at that. It's a, it's a cute little story, but it's breaking commandment number two, isn't it? It really is. So what does God look like? Thankfully, God helped us out. And you guys know the answer, right? He looks like Jesus. Who is Jesus? God in the flesh. God with skin on. What does God look like? Colossians 1.15 says, He, Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Jesus is not an idol. Jesus is the real deal. He is the true image of the invisible God. John 1, 1 1-3 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that was been made. And then you go down in verse 14 and continue on. The word, talking about Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of His grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. Jesus has revealed to us what God really looks like. It's interesting, in John chapter 14, Philip came up to Jesus and said, Show us the Father. Remember, Philip said, show us the Father, Father God. That, and that'll be enough. That's just, we just want to see God. <laughs> and remember how Jesus responded in verse 9? He said, don't you know me, Philip? <laughs> Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? By the way, did anybody notice the picture of Jesus in the story, chapter 16? There is a true picture of Jesus in the story. It was Isaiah. And it was Isaiah painting a picture of the suffering servant. 
Remember when he said things like, by his wounds we are healed? He was pierced for our transgressions. It is a beautiful picture, or an ugly picture, however you want to say it, of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. It is a picture of the suffering servant. Isaiah, God through his prophet Isaiah, was trying to paint a picture, an image, of what he looks like. Israel didn't get it. They were waiting for a powerful military dictator. Man, they were waiting for somebody to come and throw the Romans off their back. They missed God because they had the wrong image of God. Don't miss God in your life because you got the wrong image of God that you have somehow created in your mind. John 4 is a woman at the well. We're not going to read the whole story, but I want to kind of jump in the story starting in verse 19. The woman is talking to Jesus. He said, Sir, I can see that you're a prophet. <laughs> this is right after he said, you've been married five, to five men and you're living with the next guy. <laughs> She's like, okay, I can see you're a prophet. I can see that. I got a question for you. Our fathers, you know, Samaritans, we worshiped on this mountain here, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Well, the woman at the well, what was she trying to do? She was trying to pin God down to a location. You ever do that? Pin God down to a location. Is it it this mountain in Samaria or is it the temple in Jerusalem? And Jesus said, neither one. You can't pin God down. God is spirit. God's too big. God is sovereign. He's, He's a jealous God. He will not be restricted. He will not be reduced. He will not be shrunk down to size. He will not be manipulated. He will not be controlled. Even by Christians even by Christians at the Mount Pulaski Christian Church. God will not be manipulated by us. By the way, we're not supposed to try and reshape God, but there is supposed to be some reshaping going on, right? He's supposed to reshape us. 2 Corinthians 3, verses 17 and 18 says, Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory. We are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is Spirit. There is some shaping and changing that's supposed to go on. He's changing us, if we're willing to humble ourselves before Him. Now, there's some more blanks in your bulletin. I'm just going to do these really quick. To be honest, when I read chapter 17, I wanted to preach a sermon on Manasseh. I wanted to preach a sermon on Josiah. I wanted to preach a sermon on Ezekiel. And uh, are you guys okay? Could you just stay for like for another hour and a half? I'm going to preach three more sermons. No, just kidding. Just kidding. I do want to give you three quick lessons before we close out the sermon time. These all are three bright spots. And for Manasseh, the lesson is no one has messed up too much to be saved. This guy was one evil dude. When you look at all the stuff Manasseh did, he was evil. He reeked of evil. But then, remember, remember God's discipline? He put a hook in his nose and pulled him all the way to Babylon. And it was in Babylon that Manasseh, it says, he deeply humbled himself to God 
and he pleaded to God, and God heard him. What's the lesson? No one has messed up too much to be saved. Did you catch that about Manasseh when you read that? Nobody, and there are people in this church that feel like they're too dirty, they sin too much. By the way, your past does not have to be your future. God says, I don't care what your past is. Manasseh had a horrible past. The Apostle Paul had a horrible past. He didn't care what you did, guys. He said, you're not too messed up. I want to save you. And then the second one is Josiah. I, uh, I love the story of Josiah. He was made king at age eight. Did, and, and, and I don't know if you caught it. It was in one of the interlude sections. I wish, I wish we could have had more scripture on Josiah. At age 16, teenager, age 16. Could I just see the hands of anybody that's a teenager that's still awake here? Any teenagers? Okay. 16 years old. He brought reform to Judah for 30 years. He found the book of the law that had been lost. He restored the temple. He got rid of the idols. 16-year-old boy God used to bring revival to a nation. Wow. What's the lesson? No one is too young to do something significant for God. And for you guys that are older, I would say no one is too inexperienced. Because some of you guys feel like, well, I'm, I'm young in the faith. I really can't do anything. Did you read what happened to Josiah, 16-year-old boy? No one's too young or too inexperienced to be used by God. And there's one more lesson before I finish is Ezekiel. I love, I love the story of Ezekiel about the valley of dry bones that come to life. I mean, it's Israel... The people of Judah and Babylon were feeling totally hopeless. They were just feeling hopeless. And then God gives Ezekiel this vision of this very dry bones. And he says, you know, prophesy to the bones. And you guys know the story. You know the song, you know. The bones begin together and the tendons and the flesh. And then God breathes his spirit on them. What's the lesson of Ezekiel in chapter 17? God does not forget his children. Even though it feels like it sometimes. Where is God? I'm going through this trial. And maybe you're even going through discipline. Because God disciplines His children, not because He hates them. He disciplines His children because He loves them. And He wants to restore them. And stay with the story. Some of you guys are getting depressed reading this stuff right now. Stay with the story because Ezekiel's vision will eventually happen. God is going to restore His people to their homeland. Will you pray with me? Father, I pray for this sermon that it will take root in all of us because we need to hear it, and I need to hear it because I know, Father, that sometimes we are tempted to reduce you into something smaller, something more convenient for us. And God, many times we're tempted to kind of just shape you a little bit. And uh, would, you just, would you just convict us right now and help us to have a spirit of repentance that we want to worship the true God in a true way. <laughs> we don't want to worship idols, and we don't want to worship idols that we've made in our mind. We don't want to worship mental images of you, Father, that do not reflect who you really are. Help us to look at Jesus. You've revealed to us what you're like. Help us to look at Jesus, and we know your goal, your objective is to make us look like Jesus too, but we know you won't do it against our will. That's why we need to submit right now. We need to humble ourselves and allow you to shape us. Father, do your work. In Jesus' name.